As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, and welcome to Talk Word. I'm Marty Dundix, editor-in-chief of Weekly Humorous Magazine. And this is Talk Word, a fun little podcast where professionally funny people come to tell awkward and cringeworthy stories. I am super excited about today's guest. Coming all the way from San Francisco. Uh, he's in town for the Satire and Humor Festival, which is happening all weekend. Um, Irving Ruhan. Did I say that Yes! Perfect. <laughs> Success! Uh, Irving is a prolific, uh, successful uh, humor writer. Yeah, I would say uh, a little bit prolific, but I wouldn't I say... Would, <laughs> I, I would correct you and say more successful uh, than that, Marty. Um, you uh, do a lot of stuff for The New Yorker. Mm-hmm. You do... Uh, you've been in Weekly Humorist, and you are in, and you're the editor of Slackjaw. Is that's that correct, correct. Mm-hmm. and that's on Medium, mm-hmm. and that's uh, one of the top comedy destinations on, on the web, but also just on Medium. I think, believe so, yeah. Um, and you guys have lots of comedy stuff happening there, and we're going to talk all about that. And I'm fi- I'm excited to finally get to meet you in person, yeah. Uh, just because uh, I've seen your writing and read your writing, and, and we've emailed so much, and uh, meeting people in real life is is one of the funnest things to do um, in this in this internet world and this uh, kind of writing society where nothing. Nothing like you don't see anybody in real life. You know, everything's on Twitter. Everything's on. You, you know, you're congratulating somebody on a great piece that you that you read in the in the New Yorker, and they email you, and you see them, and you're like, oh, that's great. But actually, getting to put a face to the avatar, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and people do actually look like their avatars. Yeah, I'm surprised it, by that more totally, and more. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you definitely look like yours. I think I look like mine. You do. I, although I feel like I've aged, but uh, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I like how you keep uh, in. Your writing um, is always very mature. Oh, thank you. Um, for someone who is very young, how old are you? You're like 20s. Uh, 28, and I oh, think 28. I'm, pretty, I'm nearing the end of my life. That's what it feels like. It's all so, over. Yeah. It's all over <laughs> from this point. Um, and you're in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Silicon Valley type person. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, by profession, yes, although I feel like spiritually probably not so much. Uh, so, I and I did... Just now, meeting now, talking while we were walking around my office, which is in a WeWork, which is like full of startup kind of uh, culture, I didn't even realize you were a startup-y person. I, you know, mm-hmm. I only know of you from satire writing. Mm-hmm. So 
I this, the impression I get from just from your writing is highly educated, very literary, um, very funny. So the stuff that you always are writing about that I I am always so impressed with is the like so specific uh, nuanced jokes with like literature or <laughs> yeah. history or you know like making something really funny about like like Roman times mm-hmm. or James Joyce you know. <laughs> You know, random, you know, parts of of books that no one's read, like that kind of stuff. So what's your background for, like, education and stuff? Yeah, so uh, my day job is uh, engineering slash consulting. So I majored in computer science in college, and so I do that professionally, and, you know, I enjoy it a lot. But, yeah, with all the history and, you know, literature, I grew up just reading a ton, and Mm -hmm. so I feel that those subjects have taken a residency in my, you know, consciousness, and they won't leave. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I have to use that material. Um, so, but I do enjoy it. I love to read history and, you know, books in general. So I love doing stuff like that with humor. Yeah. Uh, and I think just think it's a really fun thing to do. Where, and did you go to college in San Francisco in California? I went to college down in San Diego, UCSD. Oh, yeah, so the hens. What's that? Is it? No, the uh, tritons. The tritons. <laughs> Wait, there's a, there's a mascot. Is it the mud? The, the, the mud hens? hens? The, the dirty mu- mud hens? There's a mascot? That's yeah, I think the there hens? is. I think there's the mud hens. Wow. I didn't know that. I feel like there's a San Diego. Maybe it's... That could be like a community college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking like mud hens. Who would have the confidence? There are some really terrible hens. mascots. Yeah. Um, so you went... Banana slugs. Yeah, the banana slugs. Um, so you went to college in San Diego, and then you went back to San Francisco well, I, to find so, your fortune. <laughs> I wouldn't say fortune, but I grew up uh, in San Diego. Second half of my life, and the first half I had spent between China, and Montana. So between my, China and Montana, yeah. So my family and I we immigrated to the states. So I was originally born in China, but really, yeah, mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, was your name always Irving? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know that would be cool to say, but uh, I had a Chinese name for the longest okay. time. My parents thought, yeah, <laughs> that'd be easier for most Americans if they anglicized it, and so they changed it to Irving. And uh, it, de- it definitely became a lot easier for most people yeah. to pronounce my name because Irving is a great name. Yeah, if you're like from 1945. Yeah, hey, I'm Marty. <laughs> you know, there's, there's it's true. There's like no Martys. Yeah, after the, the movie. Marty, yeah. After I mean, Back to the Future was was good for Martys. And but bad for Marty's was the movie Marty with um, Ernest Borgnine, I believe. It was like one of his first uh, when he was much younger. It was the first live broadcast of a live show, like a live play. And it was called Marty. And it was on I think it was like NBC or something. And overnight, because it was about like the biggest loser in the world. That's what the, the story of Marty is. And this guy is just like such a sad sack. And it's like his life's pathetic and it's terrible. And overnight, the name Marty, which had been popular, went to, like, negative bajillion overnight. And nobody named their kid Marty for, like, 30 years. Wow. I yeah. did not know that was the history of the name Marty. Zero Marty. So I'm a f- it's usually family names uh, is where it lasted. And people have uh, – people. there's Martins out there and stuff. But, yeah, uh, we're making a comeback with Marty. <laughs> I hope so. Hopefully you can pave the path for everyone. I hope so. And I feel Irving, hopefully, if I can pave the path for future Irvings, I'll try to do my part. Yeah, Irving's a great name. It's good to be. I like unique names that aren't like weirdo names, like Apple. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like a classy name that isn't overused. You know, there's right. way too many Michaels. There's way too many Davids. I mean, they're good names, but there's just like, it hurts your identity. I feel mm. we're getting off topic, but I was just thinking about this <laughs> um, a couple of days ago. How uh, having a name that's unique, like Marty or Irving, 
uh, creates your personality as you grow up and you feel sp- special. Mm. Like, regardless of if you're skilled in anything. But I feel like you feel like an individual because you have a different name than everybody else. Have you found that? Absolutely, yeah. Every time when I meet someone new, more often than not, people say, oh, you're like your first Irving I've met. It's like, oh, I feel feel very special. And it's sort of like this emotional byproduct. Of and if anyone, a, if, you ever heard, name, yeah. if you ever hear someone say, Irving, it's you, right? It's not like, oh, it's that Irving, sorry. Right. Uh, I, I never get like, hey, Marty, no, no, the other Marty. There's only, it's just me. If, 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 but if you're like a Michael... You could be talking to anybody. If I was a Michael, I'd be so used to other people being called Michael. I'd be like, is it, you know, Michael B, Michael J? I don't know. Yeah. I'm totally with you there. (laughs) Also, when you watch The Bachelorette or The Bachelor, it's always like, you know, Frank F or, you know, Jennifer B or whatever. Right. There's so many uh, of the same name. Absolutely. Chad, Brett, Steve, Chad, Brett, Steve, and Chads. (laughs) So many Chads. Would you play at Duke Lacrosse? All the Chads played lacrosse. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Just know. Um, you have had a lot of things published in The New Yorker. Most recently was a great piece. I don't have it with me. It was about uh, like adult, uh, 30-something clubs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the title of the piece? Nightclubs for People Over 30. And I wrote that with Gigi Lee. Gigi Lee, who's hilarious and funny and also in my book club. I wish I was with Caitlin Kunkel. You should. Uh, we should have like a honorary book club group that'll be like you and Lillian Stone and Mia Mercado. It'd be a great book club. I love that American Dream right there. Everybody in the book club is so much smarter than me. I love it. Like it's fun being around so many like intellectuals. It's very yeah. stimulating, and it it pushes me to have to like kind of like smarten it up a little bit. Mm. Um, my usual friends very dumb. Uh, I usually seem like the smart one. Not with these people. Uh, so when you're writing a piece like that, I've see, I'm seeing more and more people writing with people. And I think maybe that's because the internet, Google Docs, it's easier to write with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, for that piece, how did you come up with that piece? And how did you work with somebody who is living in New York when you're in California? Yeah, so the piece itself was really interesting because, you know, with at least Gigi, when we've worked together previously, we've written another piece for McSweeney's before. But, you know, we typically just kind of just drum out ideas. And I think both of us usually will gravitate towards a particular idea that we both like. And so once we were kind of fleshing out ideas, that one really stuck and we wanted to work on that together. And what was interesting about working together, at least with Gigi, is that with that particular format, right, it's kind of get in, get out kind of thing. You have all these different clubs. And so it made it much easier to kind of, you know, bucket out like half the clubs, you know, I would write and the other half like she would write. And so we'd come up with an initial list and then sort of as time went on, we would sort of add feedback, add comments, you know, she would give input on my stuff, I would give input on her stuff, and it was a very seamless process and I think it really helps that Gigi and I were already sort of knew each other in yeah. real life, so having that you know, friendship made it much easier to get feedback. Because I know, I mean, with any writer, right, getting and you know, hearing any sort of feedback can be pretty jarring at times. But people hate feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, you know, it's it's interesting with with writers. I feel like it's two ways. Either you are a writer who is sensitive and cannot take criticism, and you freak out, or you're the kind that has such a shell of. I can write a thousand jokes and you can, you know, I just want one of them to do well. Oh, all of these didn't do well. It's okay. I can, I can pump out 50 more. And it's just like, I feel like that's like the monologue joke mentality in, in like a, like a late night TV writer room where just, they just like churn out jokes and then they get, they're so used to being rejected that they don't care anymore, which is good and bad. Like they can take it and they can keep on being like, no, that's fine. 
but it's like they become like a shell of a human. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel right now yeah. with my writing, but yeah. <laughs> so when you guys go back and forth, did you guys um, like so let, let's take one club for example, the one where they're snorting uh, uh, vitamin B, right? <laughs> yeah. Instead of cocaine, they're doing like emergency lines, <laughs> and um, which. I just bought a, a industrial pack of emergency like two days ago. I'm so happy with it. I've been just, like on an emergency like daily routine now. Yeah. So I get that, and uh, it's great. That stuff's amazing. And Thanks, that well, your article made me think maybe I should be snorting the emergency. <laughs> maybe that would actually make me feel even better. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so when you guys broke up the clubs, did you did you come up with like half the clubs, or did you guys like co- coordinate? Did you work on both clubs together? Or all the clubs together. Yeah, we so we started working on all the clubs together once we had the initial okay. draft. But we sort of just kind of... What did you cut? Uh, what was a club that got cut? Yeah. Ooh, behind the curtain. Ooh, I like let's this. Let's see. Um, there was one or two. It's... Gosh. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it was. I'd love to answer that. But I, remember, I just remember there was a club that we both liked but then at the end of the day you know we had a sort of you know, it wasn't the strongest one yeah it just sort of kind of clashed with the others um but i think most of the stuff we came up with remained in the final version which is really cool to have i think the one of my favorite also was the one that was uh it was like naps oh the nap lounge yeah nap lounge yeah <laughs> it was just a bunch of beds yep it's great the dream that's it what is I the like. dream yeah. it really <laughs> is like as you get i just turned i just turned 40 and I felt like I was 30 up until, like, the day before I turned 40. You know, like, I felt really, I felt like 28. And then I turned 40, and then, like, it all just fell apart overnight. Like, my, like mentally, I became, like, 45 overnight. <laughs> so I went from 25 to 45 in, like, two days. And, uh, yeah, I just, I go to bed at, like, 10, and I kind of drone down around 9.45. And I'm, I'm happy when I'm just, like, shuffling around the apartment in my in my slippers. Like, this is, like, a... A big night out for me. Like, my, my happiest weekend is, like, Saturday night, just me. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Go to bed early. Watch some Netflix. It's great. It's the best, it honestly. Is the best. I've been doing that for most of my life, and I don't regret it. So that's why I feel like, even though as a 28-year-old, uh, writing so many of those jokes you got a comfy sweater on. You know, I got to play the Irving part. Yeah. You know, the English butler from 1945. Yeah. <laughs> well, the mascot for uh, Weekly Humorous is uh, Jarvis T. Weekly. Uh, who I feel like you would get along with. I feel so, yeah. He's got uh, a fun mustache. I wish I could grow facial hair like that. No, that's the thing about being Asian is that facial hair doesn't come easily to oh, us. Oh yeah. yeah. So the guy yeah. on the fourth floor that I have lunch with, uh, this guy Will, I modeled him. At, he he's like an English. He's an English guy, and he has that. He literally is one of these guys that has the the total mustache. Like it's long, and he like maintains it, and he's like British. And he's not even trying to be like a hipster. He's just like a regular British guy who just wears lots of like heavy fabrics <laughs> wow. for no reason. He sounds like quite the character. He is. He's quite the character. Um, so what do you have in the pipeline for like when you're writing something for The New Yorker or McSweeney's or Slackjaw, do you have a bunch of things that, that are kind of percolating at any given time? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like one of the things that I sort of took as a lesson from my engineering and uh, just, you know, science background is that I find a lot of connections between different things. So, you know, growing up and reading, you know, and studying science, 
there was always other things that really informed uh, a study of a particular discipline. And so I took that same approach with writing, which is, you know, I try to write from a diversity of backgrounds. So like we talked about earlier, you know, history and literature. So like I tried to actually usually write something in those particular fields because yeah. I find that the different fields inform one another, weirdly enough. So yeah, I usually try to work on a few things at once and it usually I think helps. Are you thinking about writing like a book, like a novel? Does everybody want to write a novel? I feel like we all want to write novels. You know, that's what I think, but it seems like a lot of people who write comedy want to write for TV. And, you know, I feel like writing for books is kind of a dying. I I want to write uh, murder mysteries. That's what I always have wanted to do. I grew up reading Agatha Christie, and my. My grandfather always read mysteries, and he would give the books to my mom to read, and then my and my mom gives me books. Like we all are like book people, so I kind of grew up reading mysteries. So I'm not like I wasn't reading great works. I was reading, you know, murder mysteries, which are fun. So I've always wanted to write a fun murder mystery, and I watch, you know, like Murder She Wrote. I watch way too much Murder She Wrote, and uh, like Castle or any kind of procedural Psych. I don't know if you watch Psych, but like I'm a big fan of just like. Mystery type things. I like funny mysteries because I think there's a lot of fun and funny mystery. Um, but if you wrote a book, what would you write? Yeah, I feel like for me it would be very fantasy based, uh, definitely comedic. So I grew up on a steady diet of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, and okay. so so much of that informed my worldview. So I would love to you know embark on a journey that it's you know really so sci fi funny. Yeah, something like that. Basically, it would like be a Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide. Uh, not necessarily Did you ever that, read that. I love that. Yeah, okay. I love that book. Uh, I would probably say probably less sci-fi and more fantasy. So like orcs, elves, dwarves, okay. you know, stuff like that. Okay, but I love sci-fi for sure. That could be a fun. I mean, if, I don't know if you've watched. Do you watch TV? I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really gotten into. I gave it. I think I gave it a, a the first season. They was kind of trying to find its voice, and I, the second season, it's great. Is uh, the Orville? I've heard about it. I haven't seen it. So though. it's on Fox. It's Seth MacFarlane and. It had kind of like it's a comedy based in a Star Trek type world. And the first season seemed like it was being kind of like a tongue in cheek version of a Star Trek kind of like a parody. And but by this season, the action and the sci fi and the special effects and the drama of it, it's like a legit just like a sci fi type vehicle that is funny also. You know, like you mm. kind of found that it's good. So it's like funny, but it's also like, you know, crazy sci fi fantasy with like fun new worlds but also a lot of social satire so they kind of they look back a lot so they'll they'll talk about something happening now and it will reflect on what we're doing now so it kind of like it reflects current day politics but in a way that it's more of a perspective you know like a like a pull out um so what do you watch on tv what yeah i've been <laughs> i've been uh, re-watching a lot of downton abbey so okay. i love it's so uh, slow but it's, it's great so, i just love british time pieces you know it's masterpiece nice theater it takes you know? forever to get there but like it's 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 almost like the uh, the baking cook-off the great uh, british baking, baking show great, yeah where you can watch it and it's not like it's in your face like you, it's not like screaming at you it's like slight it's like it's like quietly you know lulling you along where you don't have to always be watching it 100% to be knowing what's going on. Like, you can kind of half-watch and, and be doing something. Like, I, I'll watch, I'll put Downton Abbey on and be like, I'll be, like, cleaning the apartment. And I'll have it on in one room, and I won't miss anything because it's so slow. Right. It's great. Yeah. I'm all about slow, for sure. Yeah, slow's great. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. So when you're not writing, you have a real job. Mm-hmm. And what do you do in the real job? Yeah, so it's a mix of writing code and consulting. So, oh, yeah. wow. 
Yeah, it's so totally different than writing about like James Joyce. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fun. I love it. It's what I studied, and you know, I love uh, that kind of engineering work because I feel it obviously works a very different part of my brain. But there's a lot of similarities between writing code and writing comedy, which I don't know if people would you know immediately glean. But it's something that you know I draw a lot of parallels. But yeah, so I do that for my day job. So what's uh, you heard about Musk with his with his comedy writing algorithms or whatever it is? What's it called? <laughs> yeah, a, thud, something like that. Wanting to replace the Onion or something like that. Yeah, he was, they're writing like a like robots that write comedy. And I mean, you're a comedy writer who can write. I would think you could write code that could power a robot. Could you? <sighs> that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's fascinating. You should you should be on that. You should be on the Thud program. I would love to. I mean, I've been really noodling over the idea of writing machine learning algorithms mm-hmm. that would produce comedy, where it would digest a particular input, like of a book or an excerpts, or just go through a script, you yeah. know, for a movie or TV show, and then try to write jokes or parodies of it based on sort of natural language processing yeah. and just like semantic inference of different things. And I think it's That's entirely possible, possible with the technology we have. It's just a matter of, you know, finding the right particular, you know, AI or machine learning algorithms to kind of find those uh, particular inputs. Because comedy is, is is timing and patterns a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? So if you can, you can boil down a formula for comedy, I mean, you know, rules of three and all that kind of stuff, like you can kind of figure out what's funny. And and make a robot do it, and then, yeah, that's scary. Totally is. I mean, what if robots are automated? Yeah, robots are writing TV shows and movies, you know. And And then, but also the robots are going to be watching it, and we're going to be just enslaved somewhere. Totally. (laughs) We're going to be be underground. (laughs) We're going to be like the fuel source (laughs) for the robots. Yeah, yeah. The Matrix is going to be true for sure. Oh God, yeah. yeah. We're going to be in pods with like things sticking out of our heads. Yeah, brave new world situation. Very. I just read that for book club. Oh, what'd you think of the book? It's great. Yeah. I can't believe I hadn't read it before. It's know? so good. I mean, it seems like a very plausibly real future, right? We're all in sort of the substance. So relevant. Soma, you know, we're plugged in. It's just completely Soma. Just Soma. numbed down. And Take your Soma. Totally. I mean, I feel like Netflix is our modern version of Soma. It right? is. Yeah. It like placates us. It's Absolutely. like a pacifier. Totally. It's crazy. Yeah. But good book, though. Love it. Great book. And it like ages well. Super it's relevant. Super relevant. I couldn't believe it. Like, I was reading it. I was like, when was this written? <laughs> and then you realize, oh, everybody's been ripping this guy off forever. Absolutely. Like, he invented all of these ideas, and everyone's, like, he invented, like, th- some of the most basic sci-fi vehicles he just made forever ago. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're an avid reader, I'm assuming? I try to be, yeah. I mean, love books, you know, Um just I just feel there's such a source of creativity and inspiration just for me. Um, obviously, you know, writing about literature. But yeah, I l- love to read. What's on the, uh, like, what are you reading right now? Right now. What's uh, on the Irving Book, book Club? <laughs> the, the book I've been really fascinated by recently, I'm going through this biography of this guy named Sir Richard Francis Burton. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was the first uh, Westerner to make a successful pilgrimage to Mecca and Medina in the 19th century. So he... Apparently, he could speak over 29 different languages. He was the first and best translation of the 1001 Arabian Nights. Wow. Uh, and was, you might enjoy this, he imported the Kama Sutra into English. So he discovered it and, which, you know, uh, something can be said about that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, people didn't know about a lot of stuff that they could be doing. Totally. So, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> we could be doing yeah. all this stuff? <laughs> but, will she'll, will, but will she let me? <laughs> Exactly. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> uh, totally. 
Who wrote it? Do we know who wrote the Kama Sutra? Was it a guy or a girl? I believe it's a... You know, I'm not sure if it's one person. I think it's a collection it's of a authors. Whole group. Yeah, it's like the same thing with... They're you like, know, hey, yeah. you know, I tried this thing. Put this in the book. Totally. Okay, yeah. we'll put that in Yeah, the they all recorded on a podcast. And somebody, <laughs> somebody wrote it down. <laughs> That'd be funny. That'd yeah. be funny to see, like, the stuff that didn't make it into the Karma Sutra. Oh, yeah. The rejected things. Totally. <laughs> rejected don't try, versions, yeah. Don't try this at home. Oh, this is the yeah. stuff that did not work out. <laughs> oh, that'd be a great humor piece for sure. Very bad results. Yeah. You should write that. Oh, that'd That's be That's an idea for you. Perfect. I want to see that put together. <laughs> rejected, uh, rejected ideas of the Kama Sutra. Oh gosh. Well, maybe uh, Weekly Humorist can put it up. That would maybe. Be, yeah. I would. We can get Gigi Lee on it. You can write something. Who else have you written with um, for writing partners? because uh, I'm seeing that more and more. Yeah, yeah. As, so as, a, as an editor, I'm getting a lot more submissions where it's like this guy and this guy, or or um, I got something from um, uh, who? Uh, Eric. Um, Sternberger, Sternberger, and Joe Thomas, and then Eric had also written something with Brooke Preston, and then like I'll get like all these groups now that like maybe they took the writing classes together. I think. Mm. Did you do one of the writing classes? I did. So I did the. I think it was the first course, the writing for online satire. I took it with yeah. Caitlin uh, about two years ago, and that's what actually initially opened my eyes to the fact that oh wow, you can actually write this stuff and people will publish it honestly before that i had no idea that's amazing that this i mean like it seems like her class started so many people in this direction for new yorker stuff or for stuff on medium or stuff everywhere you know points in case robot but weekly humors like people are in the new yorker mad magazine it's it's kind of crazy to think that this second city online writing class working from home remote started all these people being into this thing that, like, before she started this class, really wasn't the thing. Like, they were just kind of writing alone. Absolutely. And I think what I would even insofar suggest that the caliber of, I think, Caitlin's teaching uh, was just, it blew my mind because I didn't, I hadn't taken really no writing classes before that, so obviously I didn't know any better. But Caitlin, I mean, herself, I mean, she's such a great editor and gives some of the most encouraging feedback. So Mm -hmm. I can't imagine where I would have gone writing wise if for example, you know, Caitlin was not the great instructor that yeah. she is, right? And I think if I got anyone who's not of a good instructor, I don't know if I would be doing this to be honest. So I think she had made a profound impact on my life, just being just simply a great teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I need to take like if she does like a seminar in, in the city or something, I need to take it just because i I haven't I haven't as seen that side. I've like read everyone and I I know the people that have come out of her class and they're so good. And, um, you know, I mean, when I see her, we're just, you know, we're having coffee or something. So it's, yeah, I don't, I'm not taking a class, but I, I, I want to learn. She's a great teacher. Know? So I highly recommend it. And, um, who else is going to be here? This is a big weekend. I'm excited that all these people are going to be here. Uh, Lillian Stone's going to be here and, and Sarah Hood is going to be here. And, um, uh, Ryan, uh, uh, Cronk, Crack, Crack. <laughs> oh, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, I'm very sorry that I'm saying your name so wrong, but it's it's it's. Uh... Oh, Ray, I always thought it was pronounced Rian. Rian, you're talking about Rian K O N C. Yeah. yeah, I I feel like I'm definitely gonna butcher her name when I meet. If her. you're listening, we're very sorry. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. And we'll Rian. buy you a couple of drinks this weekend. Deal. <laughs> uh, but she's gonna be here, and a lot of people. I mean, um, uh, James Folta obviously is gonna be here with a lot of the stuff, and uh, he has the the Night of Humorous Readings three year anniversary is gonna be on Saturday. Um, with a lot of big people, uh, Karen Chi. Mm-hmm. Karen, um, yeah, she's going to be there. Have you written with her? 
I have not written with her, no, but I love her work. She's I think, very funny. Yeah, super funny writer. Um, so this is talk written. You have to tell an awkward or cringeworthy story. Do you have any awkward or cringeworthy stories that you can tell me about anything? It could be something that happened to you in San Francisco, um, something about writing. What do you got, Irving? Yeah. Oh, gosh. An embarrassing, cringeworthy story. Do you have siblings? I don't have any siblings, to You're my knowledge. Only, only child. <laughs> yeah, I think you can probably tell self-absorbed, narcissistic, oh, so self-centered. Yeah, totally. So. <laughs> um, no, I wish I had siblings. That would are be fun. Are your parents in San Francisco? My parents are in San Diego. San Diego, uh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's see, yeah, cringeworthy story. I remember this one time. It's stuck with me. Uh, so I was really awkward growing up. I feel like in many ways I still am. But this one time, it was, I believe sophomore year of high school it was valentine's day and i had a huge crush on this girl and so i thought you know in my own you know romantically warped mind of mine i would give her a rose right because you know i'm all about grand gestures so on valentine's day i showed up and i gave her a rose and i just walked away i didn't say anything like happy valentine's Day. i just walked away and what really made it cringeworthy was that the rose i gave her was a yellow rose which to my understanding is a symbol of friendship yeah as opposed to romantic interest, which right. I believe is right. But, you know, leave it to me, Irving, to be romantically just not aware of anything. <laughs> so I gave her a yellow rose, basically signaling friendship, and then I just slowly walk away. And here's what made it even more awkward. Uh, she is the captain of the speech and debate team, and I did speech and debate in high school. And so we had debate practice after school that day. So I had to, you know, confront her and see her. And it was just not good and is super awkward and even just talking about it right now is making me feel good that's a good story <laughs> i like the romance uh that's that's very good and it's it's making me remember something that i had done when i was in i want to say seventh grade there was a girl that i had a huge crush on in my neighborhood named uh, allison and she was uh this pretty blonde girl which is interesting i went to see uh captain marvel on tuesday Do you, have you seen captain marvel not yet and it, ha- it was the, the previews for Captain Marvel was showing all these previous female superheroes, and then it was profiling Supergirl, which was uh, Helen Slater, which is an old uh, mid '80s um, kind of a cheeseball review type uh, Superman uh, knockoff that was Supergirl, and it made me uh, absolutely uh, always uh, be into uh, blondes for some reason. Just like this movie it impacted me at a very young age, and for some reason Helen Slater was always like the ideal. So there was this girl Allison uh, who was blonde. And uh, I decided I had a crush on her. And I made her, um, we were making chocolates. Uh, we were making chocolates in, in, my, in my mom's kitchen. She was, we were making like Valentine's chocolates with the molds. So we were melting down chocolate and putting it in these Valentine's molds. So I was going to make Allison a uh, box of chocolates. And it was going to be super romantic. And I was very excited about this. So I made her these chocolates. But then in, I made her this note but I did the note like a secret admirer note, like a ransom letter. <laughs> so I was like cutting out the letters from magazines. And I thought this was clever and romantic. And it was only like super creepy and like uh, scary. But then I signed the note like uh, like secret admirer. So then I didn't even tell her that it was me. Oh, gosh. So I gave her these chocolates. And then she was like, who did this? And I was like, it was me. And she's like, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It was so terrible, Irving. It was the biggest mistake. It was like uh, I was trying to do two separate things, uh, and it did not, neither worked out. (laughs) 
<laughs> Neither worked out. I, well, I, the important thing is you tried, which is, I definitely you know, tried. Yeah. It was it was like my first foray into into many failures, uh, but it was fine. It, it didn't matter. Oh, that seems like something I would have done. It was great. Too. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun hearing about like young uh, love uh, uh, trying to get attention and then just like horribly doing it wrong because no one knows how to. And you only do things based on uh, what you see on TV or you mm-hmm. hear about. Uh, and it, it, things on TV are completely made up, and, and they're supposed to work out. And totally. You try them in real life, and they don't work. Yeah, romantic. Work. Com- rom- I feel like romantic comedies, uh, romantic comedies, do more damage. Oh yeah. Good, yeah, they give you all kinds of hope that you yeah. never should have had in the first place. Totally, <laughs> hope is dangerous. It's for terrible. Sure. Um, you're uh, you're pretty popular on the Twitter in the in the. Uh... I hope so. <laughs> so if people want to follow you, uh, how do they find you on the Twitter? Yeah, so it's my first name and last name, so Irving, I-R-V-I-N-G, and then R-E-O-N, so it's just my full name uh, on there. And you're going to be at the Satire Humor Festival. Do you do uh, comedy reading things in San Francisco? Is there a comedy vibe out there? There is a comedy vibe, for sure. I mean, it's definitely vibrant. I mean, certainly not to the caliber, if you will, of New York and L.A., but it does exist. I wouldn't say so much of literary readings. That does exist, but not in the comedic sphere. So there's a lot of, I would say, serious, if you will, literature reading uh, outings, but uh, in the comedy literature readings, uh, very, very, very sparse. Have you, because you've been to McSweeney's uh, a bunch, right? Mm -hmm. You're a McSweeney's guy. And San Francisco is where McSweeney's actual office is, right? Yeah, I've actually been there. It's a it's pretty it's a pretty cool office. What's yeah. that like? Yeah, yeah. They um is the, Egger still there? I don't think so. Okay. I I think I, I think he's left it pretty much uh, running to others. Yeah. But my understanding is that Chris Monks, who's the editor of the yeah. uh, Internet Tendency, I think he's based out in Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, but the quarterly concern most of the serious literature stuff is based out of san francisco and that's where they kind of run their operations out of and you've been there yes Mm -hmm. and they have lots of books there (laughs) a lot of books and they do have very comfy chairs that are symbolic of the mcsweeney's logo so it's just very on that's great yeah how um did you just kind of show up and you're like hey i'm irving i write for the magazine online oh they (laughs) they let you in they're like oh okay come on in um, I wish it went down like that. I so what was interesting was I had a piece that ran in the quarterly concern in the uh, quarterly journal. So uh, a I humor got, piece. Yeah. Well, okay. no, it it was kind of like yeah, a humor piece, but it was in one of the issues. I think it was issue number fifty three from last year. And so I got to uh, visit the office. I got a free copy, which was great. Got to meet the editor there, and yeah, it was like one of those things where you know, super cool to kind of see my stuff in print. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Because um, they do a lot of books that aren't. They do stuff that's like lit- regular literature. Totally. Um, totally serious books. Uh, I read The Circle. That was, I think. Dave Eggers, yeah. That was an Eggers book. And I think that the McSweeney's was a publisher on it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you read that? That's good. Not yet. I've heard good things. The book is good. The, everyone said the movie was terrible. Mm. But I want to see the movie anywhere. Yeah. But the, it's, it's, it's interesting because The Circle was written in like 2010. It's very techy. You should be reading this. It's, I it's know. Your world. It's. <laughs> My Silicon Valley badge is really taking a downward spiral. But it's interesting because we, we another book that we read for book club. I only read books because of book club, but I mean it forces you into into reading, which is great. Um, the interesting thing about the circle was it was 2010 ish. I'm sure the book probably began getting written maybe 2008, right? Like if you start writing a book, it won't get published right away. So the ideas of it are so fantastic at the time, but now uh, nine years later. It, it you barely raise an eyebrow at half of the stuff that I think he intended it to be like oh my god 
And now we're like, that's the way it is. Like, that's how quickly things have actually de- degenerated for like, because, you know, it's kind of a Google type satire of like, you know, Facebook and all these things. And it's like we've already, we're almost past some of the stuff that they thought was going to be crazy. We're, we're there already. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. It's, I mean, just kind of insane too, as someone, uh, you know, who, lives in the Bay Area. I mean, I have so many friends working in tech and so much, so much of the satire and just all these stories you hear on the internet about what's going on, these tech companies, so much of it is kind of true, you know, sadly. Is Silicon enough. Valley very true? Do you watch Oh gosh, that? it really hits too close to home. I remember the first season, just wow, how real it is because, yeah. you know, those archetypes exist. And yeah. I've met a bunch of people at cocktail parties where, you know, I try to introduce myself. I try to be somewhat friendly. And, you know, you just get into these really awkward conversations where the first thing that these people jump into is talking about their latest APIs or their latest startups and ideas. And a lot of these are really ambitious. But, yeah. you know, that's where most of the conversation is based. And it's just super awkward. Funding. Yeah. Getting my round, my Series C. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> totally. There's a joke in the Valley which is like, what is the difference between uh, a shy person and like an engineer and like a shy person will look at his or her own shoes when they're talking, but an engineer will look at your shoes when they're talk when, when, you know, you're talking and try to criticize it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. As a, as a Bay area, Silicon Valley person, do you have your own aspirations for making uh, some sort of a tech app startup business idea? Do you have anything swirling in your head? You know, it's funny you mentioned that I d- did do a start of my own a few years ago. So I was a startup co-founder and sort of went through that whole, you know, uh, song and dance. And it was super fun. It was really, you know, hard. I think all the stories you hear of yeah. startups raising funding. You did know, you I, raise funding? Yeah. So we went through all wow. of that and, you know, we built the product. You had a pitch deck? We had, you know, the whole shebang, everything. And it was super fun, but really hard. And at the end of the day, you know, we unfortunately couldn't secure additional rounds of funding because... Yeah. In Silicon Valley, the, you know, the venture capitalists, they want to see hockey stick growth. Yeah. And it's just super hard to make it. And so we couldn't secure additional funding. But, I mean, the lessons we learned, yeah. just, you know, the relationship that formed, and just it was uh, super informative and just, you know, taught me a lot through that. What was the period. type of, of company? Like yeah, so it was a photo-based application, which I know sounds super cliche, but uh, we built this app that at the time – before you know, uh, scanning technology was really fleshed out on the on the iPhone and Android. We would scan paper photographs, and through automatic perspective correction and image uh, just algorithms, we'd be able to automatically crop and edge detect and do digital healing on these paper photographs that you know families would have that are eighty years, you know, hundred years old, and created a digital ecosystem for that where they could share. So kind of like take it was called heirloom and it oh, was just digitized. Great. Yeah, paper photographs. And yeah, it was, you know, worked out really well. We developed some pretty cool Did technology. anybody buy the the technology? Like is it has your technology been now incorporated into a Google Photos or Snapfish or something. Yeah, so what was really cool about it is that at the end of the day, while we did have to eventually sort of sunset the company, the technology and the IP and the service itself yeah. uh, was acquired by a company in the Midwest. And what's really crazy about that is that this uh, service and application became super popular there because a lot of people have all these photos. I mean, Midwest obviously is very yeah. family-centric, and so they got this really tight community. And what's funny was last year I was in Chicago and I was getting my interview for TSA Pre at O'Hare. And so I go into the Department of Homeland Security. I get my interview. 
and they're doing a whole bunch of background checks, right? You know, what's your employment, everything. And the one of the officers asked me, I see here, uh, you're, it says you're, you're a co-founder for the startup called Heirloom. Uh, can you, you know, I've used this before. I'm like, wait, what? It's like, you, you're kidding. And he was saying, yeah, no, my family uses it to take photos. Wow. And we shared it. And that was super trippy to see, like, the stuff I built. Yeah. Here, you know, Homeland Security officer uses it, and he's like questioning, like, did I really build that? Which was, I never expected that. That's but, amazing. Yeah, it was a very so it's still being experience. used today. Absolutely, yeah. That's great. Yeah. How cool. Yeah, I forget that I had that part of my life, and now, like, I write common is like, what? Where, where did all the time go? I've aged considerably. <laughs> was there an app version of it? Yeah. So we built uh, an iPhone app and an Android app. So it was on both platforms. I mean, you could have put, like, Photoshop out of business, you know? That was the dream. That was the dream. Yeah. It's like an auto-retoucher, kind of. Totally, yeah. We had digital healing uh, built into the technology, which was something... So one of the guys that we brought on, uh, super cool, he worked at LucasArts. Yeah. So he did special effects there, and we had him work with us. That's he, amazing. He did most of the technology and just super brilliant guy but yeah built that technology and it was just amazing what he was able to do so there's a company if i wanted to to, to have this done i could i could send an old photo in or scan it and the company exists totally yeah and you had to go through like a patent did you have to go through a patent process i so at the time we didn't i believe issue or try to apply for a patent just because it was so fast-paced the last yeah. thing we were worrying about was that but i mean i can certainly think that the technology we developed could most definitely be you know a patent absolutely you gotta patent that and then you could be a patent troll you can jump on everybody <laughs> that's the dream yeah, yeah. that's my next the dream uh, is to be a patent troll my next occupation after seeing that episode on silicon valley i was like god that's a great idea i wish i just bought like anything just like any application of this and this like well that's too similar you owe me a hundred thousand dollars yeah okay fine. The, those people exist but uh, yeah. <laughs> i that, that it's like me buying domain names i own way too many domain names I'm like, oh, I'm going to start this company. Oh, I'm going to start this company. And then I don't, but then I renew them every year just in case. Like, maybe I'll, I'll need it. Uh, they're all going to go to waste. But one, I still have one that I bought right when I got out of college. And I, I like, can't, I can't let it go. I had an app, too. Like, 2009, I, start, I tried developing an app that maybe your technology could have helped with. But um, it, was, it, was, it was like a closet organizing app. And it was called My Clothes. And you would take a photo of stuff in your, in your closet, and it would automatically, like, cut out with templates like if it was a shirt or pants or a dress or whatever and it would make it so you could dress yourself and it would have your clothes and your uh, your avatar would be the head and you could like try out outfits and save them it could have worked anyway i feel like a lot of fashion companies kind of have those things right now at the time yeah. they didn't now they do i was way ahead of myself totally. <laughs> ahead of your time but ahead then the, time, the, the, and so i finally let that domain go like last week my GoDaddy was like are you sure you don't want to renew it i'm like no, <laughs> I'm letting go of this dream. But time. the first thing that I wanted to buy and I haven't let it go yet was a, and it, now it's not even, there's no way to even have it, but it was an internet cafe called Control Alt and Eat. Oh, I love that name. Instead of Control Alt Delete, it was yeah. Control Alt and Eat. Oh, that's brilliant. So now no one, there's no internet cafes anymore really, but I kept the domain name. So now it's Control Alt and Eat. I have a, a comedy T-shirt on the Weekly Humorous shop that I designed that says "Control Alt and Eat." So at least I have that. So that was like it. my small invention that I had one of these days. I love the name. Thank you. <laughs> See, you're yeah. kind of a tech guy. You yeah, like I love that. it. Yeah, this guy has like a tech nerdy code kind of guy joke to it. Um, so yeah, I think it works. Thank <laughs> you. 
This is exciting. I'm learning so much about you, Irving. You're very interesting. Oh, thank you. There's many sides to you. Oh. Well, with, the, with the code writing and the comedy writing, but I really think you need to... I, I want to see something about... Um, well, I definitely think you ought to be writing an, an app or whatever for like writing comedy, comedy generating. Oh, I, I mean, that would be... I, I think that's one of my next big projects is trying to get more into artificial intelligence yeah. and you know do machine learning comedy stuff because I think... I think it'd be really just funny to see what algorithms can generate, yeah. like comedy wise. But yeah, yeah. I'll let you know when that happens. <laughs> be like, if we can get a, a perfect uh, uh, AI, uh, like knock knock joke written. Oh gosh, that'd be. Great. It'll be like we've done it. Um, this is great. If people want to visit you online to read your stuff, do you have a, like a website? Yeah, they can go to uh, irvingruan.com, so my full name, and then slash writing. So some of my stuff is on there, uh, including stuff from Weekly Humorous. You can find it. So uh, all of it's on there. That's awesome. And do you have anything uh, that's going to be published soon that hasn't uh, been published yet? Um, I have a few, but you know, I think right now I uh, I feel like once I have written something, I just sort of forget about it. So probably stuff in my back burner. I've but, found yeah. that with with writers, it's always like. Um, When's my piece going up? When's my piece going up? And then it goes up, and they're like, "Great, here's another piece." And you're like, yeah. "God, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, aren't you going to tell people about this one first? No, yeah, <laughs> read this one. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like it's such a, a like a like a gratifying thing would be you guys like want it up. Yeah, and then I want something else up. Then I want something else up, and I'm just like, oh, I just want to go to bed. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially as an editor, I would think you probably yeah, just uh, get a bunch of these. I just want to go to yeah, sleep. demanding writers. <laughs> uh, but they're great. They keep me going. Mm. If there wasn't uh, like demanding writers, I would have nothing. You know, like, yeah. uh, like my like, to be self motivating to do all the stuff. Like, I wouldn't publish the stuff that I publish if I didn't have people like you and, and like kid, like people who are just like, here, here's this great article, and I'm like, okay, and I'll like put it up, and it'll do really well. And I'm like. Oh. Here, here's this here's great cartoon. I'm like, this is a great cartoon. Okay, I'll put this up too. Like, I'm not like hunting for stuff. It just keeps on getting sent to me. And I'm like, well, I have to put this up. Well, it's I a good problem to, to have. It is yeah. a good problem to have. I have like too much good content. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to see you all weekend. This is yeah. this is a great way to finally get to meet you. Totally. I'm we get so to glad do this, I get to do this. And yeah. then we get to, I get to see you all weekend. Um, so uh, this will be up. Uh, uh, this is Talkward. Thanks for listening to Talkward. I'm Marty Dundix. Uh, check out weeklyhumorous.com and check out uh, Irving's website and all of his writing and follow him on Twitter. And um, this will be uh, this will be up. We're doing this live. This is an experiment you guys are listening to because we're we're broadcasting this live on video and recording it and broadcasting the audio live on the website. So this is just a, a miracle of many different technologies all happening at the exact same time. Perfect timing. And it's just two guys talking on microphones, which is which is fun. I'm glad it could be a guinea pig. Hey, no problem. I think this went okay. Nothing caught on fire. Um, until next time. Thanks for listening. Um, uh, check us out and uh, subscribe on iTunes uh, and listen to talkword.com. Bye. That was fun. It was super fun. That was, uh... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.